Hello and welcome to Econa Day Unplugged on Wednesday, the 20th November 2019. As ever, Mark Pender is across the water on US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London, where the weather may be getting colder, but election hostilities are certainly hotting up. We're in the midst of a slightly quieter period for economic indicators, and I guess it's politics, be it trade talks, a possible presidential impeachment, approaching general elections, and inevitably, if not exactly on the front burner at the moment, Brexit that's currently attracting investor attention. Still, look closely, and there's always the odd nugget or two of economic data that's worth keeping an eye on. And I guess on your side, Mark, uh, the housing market is deserving of a mention this week. Uh, yes, it is. It definitely has uh, pivoted higher. It seems to be pivoting uh, higher uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, on uh, Tuesday, we had housing starts and permits, and they were uh, um, much better than expected uh, for permits. Uh, starts came in about uh, as expected, but uh, uh, what's interesting about uh, both of them is that their averages are clearly pivoting higher. And so... Uh, that looks to be a, a positive for um, residential investment in the fourth quarter. Remember that residential investment in the third quarter uh, uh, offered its uh, first positive contribution to GDP uh, since 2017. So it's been a long uh, spell of uh, contraction yeah. for uh, quickly, housing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. On the on the starts, can you tell me was it a broad based increase or was it just you know a regional, a particular area, or how how did how did it pan out? It's uh, it's been broad based. Uh, it's been centered in where you want it to be centered in, which is uh, in the single family category. They have the mm -hmm. highest cost, and they give you the most punch uh, 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 for uh, GDP. Um, but uh, multifamily houses, uh, uh, family homes, were also uh, uh, up in in uh, October's data. So it was uh, an overall very solid picture. We're going to get um, existing home sales tomorrow. And um, uh, forecasters in our Econoday uh, consensus here, I'm just calling it up now, uh, are looking for a significant increase. That is, it's uh, a 5.48 million annualized rate that, that would be up from 5.38 uh, in September, um, which was a month where they did fall back. But, but this series, too, uh, less than a new home sale. So, so we moved from permits to, uh, to starts. And um, and, uh, and new home sales have been pivoting uh, very much higher. This is the new homes uh, category. Now, resales have been also pivoting uh, upward, but at a much uh, shallower uh, rate. And uh, assuming there's more turnover in the new home, uh, interest in buying new homes, there'll have to be more resales as people move into their new homes. So that's probably going to be a plus. And is this the Fed? Is this lower interest rates doing what it's supposed to be doing? Exactly. This is favorable interest uh, mortgage rates, about 4% for conventional 30-year loans. That's where it's been holding mortgage banker uh, data came out this morning. This is weekly activity from mortgage bankers and uh, their um, purchase index, which is uh, the amount of purchase applications, has been uh, humming along very nicely right now. And it's a 4% for conventional 30-year loans, uh, roughly, where uh, the rates are now very favorable. And, of course, we have such high levels of employment. And even though wage gains aren't through the roof, but, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of people with jobs and that's helping uh, families, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, in the housing sector. So it's th this, you know, this can help 
offset the weakness that we're seeing in manufacturing here in the U.S. So it's one of those uh, outside factors. It's coming in like from something that's been a a slight drag to something now that can be a positive and and may help uh, uh, overall uh, fourth quarter GDP. So do you think this is going to sort of spill over into, I see we have consumer sentiment figures on Friday. Um, This pickup we got in the housing market, do you think it's going to spill over into that? Um, interesting question. It's not really a housing boom. Uh, it's, uh, it's a uh, step in the right direction. It's, it's moving. Yeah. It's it clearly moving upward. It had been flat to shallow to sinking a little bit. So it's now clearly pivoting higher, which for economic data, uh, and a quarter, quarter, month to month basis, that movement, uh, it's a big positive. Now, overall, uh, if you look at the levels, of, uh, they're still very low. I mean, compared to where we were. Um, we, we finally, in housing starts and permits, these levels are finally reaching the levels that we had in the um, uh, 2007 subprime housing bubble. So it's taken 12 years right. to get back to where we were. And and, and sales uh, uh, levels uh, are also uh, have also been subdued. That that whole subprime thing pulled uh, the housing sector for pulled activity, pulled building, pulled buying. Um, forward for it is a super substantial amount of time and it has uh, uh, led to subdued uh, rates of growth um, in this economic cycle okay interesting stuff thanks for that um okay well on my side of the world then not often we can talk about good news from here particularly out of a eurozone but at least as far as last week was concerned against market expectations we found out that germany at least provisionally avoided recession Uh, The flash third quarter GDP figures showed uh, a minimal, it's got to be said, but at least it was up, a 0.1% quarterly gain in total output. Well, that's got to be put into context because we saw the the second quarter decline revised to down 0.2% at a quarterly rate. So uh, to all intents and purposes, the third quarter recovery, to the extent there was one, didn't actually fully reverse what happened in the previous period. But at least on a technical basis, it does mean that Germany avoided the recession and perhaps that may be of some psychological value to the German consumer. Um, in terms of you know where we go from here, well, the main, main data as far as European markets are concerned, this week will be the uh, November flash PMIs. They're due out on Friday. And as we all know, particularly for, as far as Europe's concerned anyway, they're very much one of the uh, sort of the linchpins in determining what happens to investor sentiment. Now, focus for a long time now, as Mark was talking about the weak- weakness in manufacturing on, on his side of the water, it's been a poor manufacturing sector, which has been dominating uh, the slowdown in the Eurozone and indeed UK economy we've had for well, the best part of, the, of this year now. And that's been very much typically the, you know, the focus of investor attention. But I think now because we're starting to see some concerns that spillover effects into the services side are coming that much more prominent. Um, it's going to be worthwhile keeping an eye in particular on what comes out of the services side of these PMIs, the flash PMIs for November, when we get them on Friday. I thought, we you know, one of the things which perhaps much a lot of media didn't really pick up on, but when we had the October um, numbers, which we saw for the first time in almost seven years, expectations for future activity in services actually turning negative. So, I mean, okay, it's only expectations rather than current, but it does suggest that service businesses now are starting to become that much more concerned about what's going to happen in the future. So, um, can, I, can yeah. I add something here? So, uh, this, I guess, reflects an overall a dampening of the economy, probably uh, pinpointed in global um, trade 
and its effect on manufacturing. And on that theme of a wider thing, let's get. Can I ask about prices now? Um, but now prices have been subdued. Uh, but we had Canadian prices out this morning, and they're right at the. And they're doing, you know, Canada's doing as well as anybody. Uh, but mm-hmm. their prices right, right at the one point nine percent, right for for several months in a row now, right where the uh, Bank of Canada wants it. Now for Europe, I've been noticing. Um, that the in the PPIs have been soft. We had German PPI. Uh, can you touch on that today? And also, uh, there's been repeated weakness. I, I've been seeing in some of these reports in the intermediate sections. And, and what does that mean? It is. I think that's right. I mean, it's um, clear when we're looking at producer price indices, as far as Europe's concerned, any, anyway, uh, we're talking about the manufacturing sector, so it's not including services. But nonetheless, that the PPI, the producer price index, so the cost of goods as they leave the, the factory gates, um, it is seen as being a leading indicator of what's going to happen to overall consumer price inflation. Now, you touch upon Germany, which I think is a good call because German developments at the moment are kind of symptomatic of what we're seeing across a, a fairly large chunk of the eurozone uh, the october german ppi then that was down 0.2 percent on the month um, in october it's been pretty well flat or down now for the best part of the last last several years um, the year on year rate is now running at 0.6 percent and that's the lowest we've seen in a number of years and it's not just for headline figures which we know get biased down by volatile factors such as oil and the like um, mm-hmm. but if we exclude energy we're now running down at just 0.3 which by in by German standards is historically very soft. So I think almost wherever you look at you know prices in the eurozone, um, we're talking about Germany here, but you can really you know use that as a kind of a benchmark for the rest of the eurozone. Uh, service service sector prices are holding up rather better, but overall price pressures in the eurozone currently are still extremely low. Of course, as mentioned, we get these purchasing manager surveys, the flash numbers for November out on Friday. Mm-hmm. People as always be looking at the price component of that but the, uh-huh. the bottom line it really just seems to me is that you know whatever they indicate they're going to simply confirm that eurozone economic growth currently and probably over the next several months if not quarters simply isn't going to be strong enough to generate the inflationary pressures needed if the ecb is to get cpi or hicp inflation as they call it over here you know up towards this near two percent ecb target rate so it's all sort of fits together in terms of sluggish growth equals weak inflation equals increasing pressure on the ECB to uh-huh. do yet more with policy. Uh-huh. Well, how much more uh, do they have to get prices up? One percentage point uh, in, in Europe? Well, effectively, yes. I mean, in terms of the latest sets of figures we had, these were for what October. Um, I mean, the headline rate itself now is down, is down to 0.7%. Now, I think, as we all know, so this is biased down by what's happening in the energy market at the moment. Although, of course, we have the risk that you know, headline inflation being so, so low could influence um, inflationary expectations and perhaps mm-hmm. wage demands the wrong way and you know, second round effects. But mm-hmm. the core numbers, the underlying inflation rate, as it has been, I think we've talked about on a number of occasions over the last what, two to three years now, mm-hmm. it's currently running just a tick over 1%. It really has completely flatlined. Mm-hmm. And the worry for the ECB must be that you know if growth doesn't start to pick up at some point rather mm. than underlying inflation going up it's going to go down well it's also a question of goods specifically uh there's uh, w- with lack of trade uh slowing trade there's a, 
a buildup of goods, and uh, so um, and that it has a price effect. So you know, uh, and that has a dampening price effect. So um, it'd be uh, difficult, I think, to to ignite uh, wholesale inflation. I'm not sure exactly how how uh, central banks can manage that specifically. Um, if if they're focused on the employment market and driving up uh, uh, labor, that could help wages, in turn help demand for goods, I guess. But it's uh, it's kind of a it's a difficult uh, inflationary picture uh, right now. In the U.S., we're going to get core prices next week, um, and there might be some uh, improvement, but uh, it's at least uh, roughly around two percent, about one point seven, I think, in the last one. And they wanted to move higher, but it's not a, a, a a big emergency, or it's not as important as in other spots. No, certainly. I mean, you say low inflation is just becoming you know, more and more of an issue globally. And it's as you say, I think, you know, when central banks have done as much as they have already in terms of interest rate cuts, if not, you know, massive amounts of, you know, balance sheet reflating, then you do wonder what else they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, Quickly on the politics, I should mention, since unfortunately, as far as the UK is concerned, we do have an election coming up on December the 12th. Um, so we really do have all the parties now in full sort of pre-election swing. And I guess what we can say at the moment is in terms of what does it actually mean? Well, clearly we don't know who's going to win yet, um, but all the parties are really talking about, well, putting government spending through the roof. Um, what appears to be the current theme currently is that um, although the Conservative Party have traditional been seen as the party of sort of fiscal austerity or at least fiscal discipline, they appear to be going more and more down the, um, the Labour route whereby effectively they're going to start targeting government spending, excluding investment spending. So really they're going to try to, both sides now, both Labour and uh, the, the Conservatives are talking about having some kind of small surplus target for the current budget deficit, so current spending, less um, current taxation inflows, um, and effectively take the investment side off balance sheet, which means, of course, they can come out and, and, and meet perhaps their current spending target, but they can actually see on in terms of actually overall public sector borrowing, if they're mm-hmm. going to meet some of these uh, targets or proposals they're talking about on spending on national health, on spending on schools, on infrastructure, then public sector borrowing in the UK Whoever wins this election mm. is going to go through the roof. And this um, is is this a, a counter cyclical or uh, 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 a for, uh, foreshadowing or trying to cover the seam of a Brexit on both? To be honest, a good, it's a fair question, I think. And to be honest, it's, it's not really clear. I mean, I suppose I put my cynical electioneers hat on and assume that it's a classic government stance at a time when all the parties are really worried about how the elections are going to go. Because of this great big Brexit unknown, the impact of that on the, on voter intentions, no one really has got a clue about how this election is going to go, irrespective of what the opinion polls are going to say. Well, the, think, the supporters of, of Brexit, do they see economic acceleration for the UK following this? I mean, well, this is, this, this is part of it, I think. I mean, in terms, if you, if you listen to what the likes of the Bank of England have been saying, as we've talked about on a number of occasions, you know, their central case scenario is we get this kind of a smooth Brexit, we get a trade deal with the European Union, as a result of which, as you say, we get some kind of significant boost to business sentiment, consumer sentiment, the housing market, economic activity in general picks up, and the Bank of England is duly forced to raise interest rates. So hmm. there's certainly that possibility 
possibility. But of course, as we've also talked about in the past, we're not really sure what say, shape or form Brexit's going to take if indeed Brexit does actually happen. Mm-hmm. I think from the way the pound's currently trading, it would seem that uh, as far as the FX traders are concerned, the idea of a no-deal Brexit um, is pretty well gone completely out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, the pound is so strong, it really would seem to be discounting some kind of soft Brexit scenario. But in terms of the opinion polls, I mean, we've got to say, if you look at the polls at the moment, uh, the Conservatives are running at around about 40%, uh, Labour only about 29%. So uh, how, talking- what was the impact of uh, any immediate impact of last uh, yesterday's uh, debate? That's easy. I can print and probably safely say to that pretty well nothing in a sense that weren't any big sort of knockout blows. It is more a case of uh, you know, both sides trying to expand on how whatever they're going to do is going to be best as far as the economy is concerned. But um, in terms of the way the financial markets have reacted, really, um, I think, well, the main media coverage over here was concentrating on the fact that um, the Conservatives um, decided to rename their press office Twitter account Fact Check UK during the middle of last night's TV debate, which has gone down like a lead balloon by most people since the uh, the Twitter account has got nothing whatsoever to do with fact-checking. So um, that didn't go down too well. But otherwise, I think, no, it was a fairly not necessarily friendly affair, but it's the kind of, yeah, it's a kind of typical leader versus prospective leader battle, which really didn't really give too many clues about what's going to go on. So are we but, heading to a 50-50 kind of a vote uh, the split between the different uh, it uh, parties? Could, it could be. As I mentioned, at the moment, if you take the opinion polls at face value, the Conservatives are at 40% and Labour at 29%. Now, that gives the Conservatives, what, more than uh, yeah, a 10 percentage point lead over Labour, which, if it was evenly spread a- across the country, would be enough to give the Conservatives an absolute majority in Parliament. However... Um, there is certainly sort of you know, themes going through some of these intentions, which suggest that as big a lead as the Conservatives have, it's probably more to do with more voters in those seats which they were expected to win anyway voting Tory than previously. So in other words, they're gaining ground in seats they're expected to win anyway, so it doesn't make any difference in terms of the other seats, the ones which should actually need to win off Labour and the other opposition parties. So in terms of where we go from here, it really is anyone's guess, which I think you know makes it extremely interesting for financial markets because they still don't really know how to react by the fact, as I mentioned earlier, they are assuming that it's going to be you know some kind of relatively soft Brexit. Um, I'm not just trying to drag on too much about politics. Traditionally over here, a conservative government is simply taken, is well received by the pound and well received by financial markets. However, in this case, if we were to see the conservatives, let's say, get a really substantial commons majority, that would allow then Boris Johnson to do effectively whatever he wants with his Brexit deal. So he's got a deal already agreed with the EU. He could force that through Parliament, but recall that this is just the Brexit deal, the withdrawal deal. What happens after that will be negotiation about what happens about UK trade with the EU. And that will have to be sorted over the course of uh, 2020. Now, some of the murmurs which are coming out of the Conservative Party suggest that he may not be particularly interested in securing trade deals per se with the EU. He's going to want to look elsewhere. And that's when all of a sudden this idea of perhaps a harder Brexit the markets are currently discounting you know, starts coming back to the fore again. So I the politics to- of Brexit I- have got a long way to go yet. I have two questions. One is, how, how, explain a 40% share being an absolute majority in Parliament. 
Well, 40% is talking about literally aren't the, the opinion pollsters going around the country and asking, right, who are you going to vote for? Is it Labour? Is it Conservatives? Is it the Greens, the Liberal Democrats, etc., etc.? To- and on the basis of those polls, on average, uh-huh. um, the Conservatives got about 40% of a national vote. Labour have got 29%, and so and how on. Do, and so how does it break into seats? Break well, this is, the pro- this, this is the problem, because you can't actually necessarily you know, derive the, the, the seat total from the simple share of the vote. You know, we have individuals, individual seats where people will vote, um, will in one particular um in, in one particular county may not be and then you have the same kind of matters we get somewhere else as i recall i think in in one particular scottish constituency during the last election that seat was won by just two votes um another seat if you win it comfortably you could win it mm-hmm. let's say by you know, ten thousand votes mm-hmm. so percentages really only give you a very broad indication of what so, might happen so you could have 40 percent of the vote and 50 percent of the seats yeah, exactly that. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you won all the right seats and you won everything really, really closely, yes, you could uh-huh. do. Now, one other question is um, uh, your National Health uh, Service and U.S. prescription companies. How, how is this uh, playing or what are the issues right now that's in the election? Well, the issues here at the moment, we have the National Health Service, which means that any UK resident is entitled to um, three health services um, as part and parcel of uh, the, the government organisation. Now, depending upon age, you had, do have to pay for prescriptions and so on. But anyone, you know, you can go along to see your GP, you can put in, be put into hospital and you will receive free service. If um, Brexit happens and we decide to, let's say, move away from some of the pharmaceutical deals we got the rest of the EU and move across to the states, the cost of importing medicines and pharmaceutical products, pharmaceutical products from the US will be significantly more than we have via our various trade arrangements we have at the moment with the European Union. And that then would raise uh, you know, the, the chances that we'll see cost of medicine going up sharply. We start to see probably some kind of you know, inroads into the, the, the sort of the privatization of a national health services as well, which is currently you know, a pure public institution. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then again, you know, it raises the potential then for, for higher prices. And that's one of the big issues which Labour are very much touting at the moment, you know, saying this is what Conservatives are going to do. Mm-hmm. And Conservatives say, no, the NHS will not be touched. Mm-hmm. But politically, yeah, hot potato. Right. Um, okay. Well, I guess that's enough of the politics. Um, let me quickly round off with just some of the other bits and pieces from last week, just mentioned in terms of uh, global economy, and most of it was pretty poor. Third quarter GDP out of Japan that was up just 0.1% on a quarter-on-quarter basis, which is miserable, less than expected. And the worrying aspect there is that we saw a pretty decent bounce in consumption, which was uh, to be anticipated because we saw consumption tax being hiked beginning of October time. So very probably consumption is going to go negative in the fourth quarter and that could well lead to negative Japanese fourth quarter GDP growth so something to keep an eye on there. China I think last week we said we talked about the industrial production retail sales figures coming out well both of those undershot expectations sales in particular the weakest in six months so again some fresh signs that perhaps China is starting to slow a bit a little bit as well and um, out of the RBNZ Reserve Bank of uh, New Zealand last week although there's no change in interest rates uh, the the bank now has come out and indicated that it's going to publish a, quote, clear theretical framework of alternative policy options early next year. Who's this again? 
Was this, like, this is the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. New Zealand. So they've got to a stage now whereby you know they're a bit like the RBA in Australia. They're reluctant to see interest rates go negative, and they're looking into well, basically, what else can we do if we need to loosen policy further? Well, uh, their policy rate, I think, is at one percent, and Australia yep. is at 0.75. Yeah, that's right. So they're running out of room, yeah. Exactly. And I think they didn't want to do quantitative easing. The RBA said they don't want to do quantitative easing, but both central banks, by the look of it now, are starting to, well, look, if push comes to shove, we may have to do it. So it may be back to, you know, a world of quantitative easing again. I mean, whether or not, you know, what the Fed is doing is quantitative easing or not, the balance sheet's going up. The ECB is back on quantitative easing again, so... Uh Hey, yeah. as long as no one complains or they all, or they accept it, I mean, it's good for the markets, right? So, well, but the danger is it's, it's good for the markets, but I suppose increasingly are these markets just being you know bolstered by a uh-huh. tidal wave of money rather than you know what's actually going on in the real economy? It's well, it's the unreal. It's the unreal economy now. It's the new economy. How you like that? It is. That'll do, and I think that sounds a happy note, a new economy (laughs) on which to end. Okay, so let's finish it up there then. Um, From Mark and myself, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be taking a break next week, but Econoday's global economic calendar most definitely won't. So do check there to keep up to date with all the key economic indicators and market events. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye for now.